Thank you, Joel. Man, you've done a great job. Um, we've been we started last week with a series on anxious, being anxious for nothing, and we pulled that from Paul's uh, admonition to the people in the church in Philippi. Um, and I want to continue that. Last week we, we talked about God's peace and desiring God's peace, and how sometimes we don't really want God's peace because it doesn't give us significance. It seems ordinary and. Uh, when we're in crisis, we get attention, and uh, when we have drama in our lives, we seem more important, and so we tend to be dismissive of God's peace. And yet, all of us have been in places in our life where we hunger and crave for that peace. We want all the turmoil to go away. We want to be reminded that all will be well. And so we, we began with that. Well, this morning, I want to unpack very quickly what scripture tells us about fear and uh, the role that fear plays in robbing us of God's peace. And I had a video, I'm not going to try to show the video because my computer's not hooked up to sound, um, but um, I'll have, go ahead and roll it and I'll, I'll explain to you. Some of you that are well seasoned and a little more mature in age will recognize this. Um, Commercial from years ago. Yeah, I, I could do that. Oh, it is coming. It's coming through. I can restart it. You want to restart it? Okay, you didn't hear that very well, so let me let me describe. Some of you, anybody remember that commercial? Okay, a couple of us are part of that. So in the in the commercial, the guy, and of course his car is burning a bunch of oil. He says, "What kind of motor oil are you using?" And his answer is, "Motor oil, is motor oil." Yeah, motor oil is motor. It's all the same. In 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 Kayleen's family, in my wife's family, that is heritage. That couldn't be farther from the truth. In fact, there's there's deep divisions in her family, depending on which motor oil you use in your car. There are car people, and so there's the there's the Pennzoil group, there's the Quaker State group, and there's the Valvoline group, and they have very strong opinions about that, and and they give you all this anecdotal stuff about how you know I use this motor oil in my car went for 250,000 miles without a problem, so it must be the good one. And they each make their own little defense of that. And then I came along. I was a true poor college student when we were dating and was checking the oil in my car as we were preparing to left college and visiting her family. And they're standing around, I'm checking oil. And then here comes this loaded question what kind of motor oil do you use? Motor oil is motor oil. So I went to the front of my car and I opened it up and I had my little Mario May brand, the cheapest stuff a college student could buy. The same people that make the other motor oil. Yeah, exactly. Don't tell that to Kaylee's family. All right? So so here's the thing. Um, go ahead and advance us this, Joelle. She has the uncomfortable position of standing right here next to me and wondering if It's I'm my favorite. It's your favorite? It's the best. It's the best. Front, I, I get, like, front seating. That's right. You have the most comfortable box seat. 
So here's this passage. Paul, again, is talking. This time he's talking to Timothy. Timothy is his protege. Timothy's the one that he's trained to come along behind him. And if you've read the epistles to, to Timothy, the letters to Timothy, you know that it's packed with all kinds of advice for young leaders. Someone who's up and coming. Timothy, here's what to do. Here's what not to do. And in this, he reminds Timothy. So there's a little preface to what I'm going to read. He greets Timothy at the beginning of 2 Timothy chapter 1. And he says, Timothy, you're a great guy, and you have inherited an incredible legacy. Your mother and your grandmother served the Lord and loved the Lord, and you learned from them, and you gleaned all these things from them. And he goes on to say this. This is why, because of this heritage you have, this is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gifts God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So, never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of so there's this sense as he's talking to Timothy, he says, you know, you've got this incredible gift of a mother and a grandmother who loved Jesus, served him, taught you, trained you, and now you have the opportunity to do the same thing. So don't be afraid and don't be timid, but instead be bold and do this. And so how is it that I am comparing fear and motor Well, if you agree with Kaylee's family that motor oil is not motor oil, that it's all different. You will certainly agree with me that fear is not just fear. There are different kinds of fear, and they do different things to us, and we should respond in different ways to different kinds of fear. So I have a little bit of, a, of an illustration here for you. It would be easy for us to just kind of lump it together and say, you know what, I'm experiencing fear, I'm afraid, and, and it's all the same, whether I was just in a, you know, in a close call in my car, or whether I'm sitting at home worrying and wondering about telling my neighbor about Jesus. It's easy to lump it all together and to say that's fear. Unfortunately, our English language doesn't do a very good job of differentiating these things. In the same way that we use one word to describe love, this incredibly complex concept, where Greek uses three words to describe love, New Testament Greek also uses three different words to describe fear. So, just to help you with this, we've got some young people here. Some of us old people probably don't need this. A cupcake is a cupcake, right? They're all the same? Let's see back there. Some of us like to shop at Sam's. If you've ever shopped at Sam's, there's not a big selection of cupcakes. They're little boxes. These, my friends, are raisin cupcakes. Have any of you had these before? Kaylee and I have, of course, whenever we were visiting away. These are raisin cupcakes. There's four different varieties in here. So this a cupcake is not a cupcake, because I might say, you know, there's there's two that are chocolate, there's two that are lemon, there's two that are coconut, and there's two that are strawberry. So they're not all the same. Some of you are going, who gets to spoil a cupcake today, right? <laughs> but these aren't just Cupcakes. <laughs> okay, Joelle gets the first choice. So what's yours? Do you have vanilla? 
Um, well, there's coconut, strawberry, chocolate, and lemon. Now, this is just a cupcake, but what I want you to do, we're not going to, nothing else is going to be on for a minute. Then we'll get the strawberries. What I want you to do, Joel, is I want you to, one hundred kind of, I know they're messy, they got all kinds of stuff on them. But I want you to bite into that. After a couple of bites, I want you to tell me what's different about this cupcake. Why this is not just, you know, Motorola, Motorola cupcake. I think it's just so much icing. The ratio is like one to one. You raise your hand. Okay, okay. but like. <laughs> okay, she's getting started. Take your time, but she's going to tell us in a moment that this cupcake is not like every other cupcake. Well, first of all, it's not like every other cupcake because it's got like two inches across. But she, she chose wisely the strawberry version. So when we talk about fear and we go, you know, Fear is fear, whether I'm afraid of a lion standing over there, or whether I'm afraid of talking to my teacher, or whether I'm afraid of a conversation I need to have with my spouse. It's all the same. And in English, we could foolishly make that case. Fortunately, Scripture helps us to tear this apart a little bit and dissect it. Because when we lump it all together, we do that foolishly, because not all fear is the same. And if we were to lump them together, that would be making a because some fear is quite different to other fears. So I've got to give credit to you guys. How far are you into it? Let me, no, let me I can't see. even eat the cake. There's so much icing. Keep going. You'll get there. Um, so I, I have a friend. He, he recently passed away. An amazing man. And I would have had the privilege of being his pastor for nine years. And my friend Lloyd, um, some of you have heard me talk about him before. He served in World War II in the Pacific Theater. And years ago, when I was his pastor, I preached another message on fear, and I talked about how fear can paralyze us. And after the service, he came up to me, and he grabbed me by the arm. Uh, this guy is a decorated World War II veteran. Purple heart, two bronze stars in the military cluster. For those of you who are in the military, they don't get this. He came up to me afterwards, and he goes, I want to tell you, I know what it's and we stood out there in, in front of the church on a sunny spring day, and he told me, he said, you know, when we landed on the island of Leyte, it was the first I set foot of in, on anywhere outside of the United States. And he said, we landed, and the first thing they did is they said, put down your firearms, put down your rifles, here's a shovel, dig a hole. And they dug holes in formation to make a perimeter, and they said, dig it deep enough because you're going to sleep in that hole tonight and you don't want to get shot. And so they dug. And by nightfall, he and another fellow had a big enough hole that they had their own foxhole to sit in. And then he said, when it got dark, then the Japanese came. And the shots rang out. And the orders were just shoot outward because we have a nice perimeter and we've defended ourselves here. Don't shoot behind you because you'll shoot another soldier, another American infantryman. But he said something happened during the night when the Japanese overran one of the foxholes and all of a sudden they didn't have it. And he said, my friend and I lay down in the bottom of our newly dug foxhole while the bullet was whizzing over our heads. And he said, I physically shook with fear. I had never experienced anything like that before, and I've never experienced anything like that again. And I know what it means to be afraid. 
vivid. But I would tell you that being afraid of talking to my neighbor about Jesus is far different than that. And so I want to unpack it a little bit, and Joel's doing a great job. So what's different about this, Joel? There's, like, stuff on the inside. Like, it's not just cake. Okay, so there's, there's this filling on the inside. It's not just cake. This is not just another cupcake. These are, like, cupcakes on steroids. Yeah. They're good, aren't they? Okay. So I've got seven more here. And I am really hoping to spoil it. So if we look through together, it's, it's not a good thing. Go ahead and advance us through without getting frosted on my computer. <laughs> In Scripture, we read that, that there are three different types of fear because they use three different words for it. And so it helps us to, to define our fear, what that fear looks like. So there's one kind of fear, which is a fear that is the opposite of courage. It's the fear that says, I'm afraid to go out and do something that needs to be done. It's a scary thing, but it should be done. And, and we'll unpack that in just a moment, each of us. The next is, it, it talks about fear that is uh, uh, the opposite of foolishness. I, I'm not going to do something I'm afraid, I'm going to refrain, I'm going to keep distance from something because that is foolish and harmful to me. And then the third kind is a fear that is usually described how we feel when we face something terrible. We face something that is that is really, really scary. This is the Japanese shooting over our heads kind of fear. And I want to unpack these a little bit because our responses to the different fears in Scripture have different expectations. We should respond in different ways. So we're going to go ahead. Let's look at the fear versus courage. This kind of fear in Greek is called dahlia. And in the New Testament Greek, when we see this fear, it is always bad. This kind of fear is always defined as being something bad. So when they say, you know, when you experience this fear, it's not a good thing, and you should somehow learn to overcome it. And the scripture I just read where Paul is writing to Timothy and says, you know, God did not give us a spirit of fear and timidity. Some of your translations may just say, he didn't give us a spirit of timidity. This is the kind of fear Paul is referring to. God did not give us this bad kind of fear that keeps us from doing something we should do. This is the fear that keeps us from doing a noble good. I had an experience yesterday. Kaylee and I had an experience yesterday. We were meeting our daughter Leah, and, and we were driving down Seneca, down toward Delano. And as we're driving down the road, Saturday afternoon, hot and muggy, and here along the sidewalk, there's a man laying down. And he's not just laying down, he's on his back and he's spread eagle on the ground. And all these cars are just zipping by. And as we went by, I said to Kaylee, I said, hey, you know, there could be that there's something wrong. You don't just lay down spread eagle on the sidewalk. And so I spun the car around and and didn't spin the car. I turned around. But, you know, in the movie version, you know, yeah. Okay. And, and I said to Kayleen, start calling 911 because, you know, if this guy's unconscious or dead, we need to get an ambulance out here. And so we pulled up, and I put my hazard lights on, and I got out, and I walked up. And there was a, there was a sense in me in that moment that I can, I can go out here and touch this guy, and I may be the first person to find out that he's alive. There's this apprehension, and it's probably the thing that kept 10 other people just driving straight by. But I kneeled down next to him on his back and I said, hey, buddy, 
and I tapped him on the shoulder. I said, hey, buddy. And as I did that, he started to stir. He started to move his arm like that. Oh, I freaked out. And then I said, hey, are you okay? And he goes, oh, yeah. I just decided to take a nap. Okay. Well, you're on the sidewalk, man. And, and we had a little conversation. And in the course of about three sentences, I realized that he had taken in a large amount of alcohol. But in that moment, as I was walking up, there was a sense that, you know, I don't know if I want to touch this possible body, corpse, or this person who may be in the middle of a medical crisis. But part of me felt like I need to find out because no one else is stopping. If he needs help, somebody needs to help him. And so there was this dahlia going on saying, hey, just get out of your car and drive on ahead. Because don't, you don't need to put yourself at risk by doing this little fear. Well, that is the same kind of fear that Paul is referring to Timothy and saying, don't be intimidated. Don't be caused to hesitate and pull back from doing something that is actually good. So that's the first kind of fear. That's a fear that we're going to have to face, and hopefully, because we trust in God, we will be able to overcome it. Here's the next kind of fear. This is the fear versus foolishness. And so in this, and, and bear with me if I try to pronounce it, pronounce it too. Greek is sometimes really hard to pronounce. You don't have a lot of Greek cadence. But it's eulabea is the Greek term. Eulabea is the second kind of fear. And this is the kind of fear that says, you know, I'm not going to do that because there are certain consequences that will come from this foolish action. This is the kind of fear that looks at a hot stove and says, I'm not going to put my hand on there because that would be foolish and would cause this is the kind of fear that says, I'm not going to run the red light. Because that would not be a good thing, and someone might hit me or I might hit them. And in, in the scripture, this form of fear is always good. This is always a good thing. The other one is always bad. Do not be intimidated. This one is, do not be foolish. And this one is a fear that says, this is always a good thing. And so this is the fear that's referred to in the Old Testament when it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Totally different thing. This is the kind of fear that says to us when we leave church this afternoon and head out from here, put your seatbelt on. Don't be foolish. Be wise because there are consequences to what we do. This is the fear that keeps us from doing the stupid thing. So now we have a good kind of fear and we have a bad kind of fear. So we have this bad kind of fear that, that intimidates us from doing what is noble. We have a good kind of fear that intimidates us from doing what is foolish and harmful. And then we have this third kind of fear. And this third kind of fear is the one that we probably know the best because of the word that it comes from. And that word is uh, phoboros. And I'm sure you are already guessing some of you what word in English we get from this. Phobia. This kind of fear is a little bit different. This Phobaros fear is a fear that is kind of mixed. Sometimes it's good in Scripture and sometimes it's bad in Scripture. But it is always fear of something that is terrible. Always something that is terrible. Something that is terrifying. And so I wasn't terrified when I saw that guy laying on the, on the ground. I'm not terrified when I come up to a red light because, oh my goodness, I might run the red light. But let me tell you, when there's lightning going off around me, 
when we're being shot at, when we're being physically threatened, we know what this fear is. We know that there's something terrible about to happen. There's something dangerous around us, and we should be paying attention. Now, there are times when facing the dangers of this truth, yes, it's terrifying, but we need to go there. And other times, yes, it's terrifying, but we need to go the other way. And we have terms for this, right? Fight or flight. When we are faced with soldier rock, we either engage and we give it everything we can with all the adrenaline we can muster and all that is within us. We know we're facing a terrible enemy. Or we say, let's get out of here. We have no business being here. Those are the three kinds of fear. But I come back to Paul saying to Timothy, you know, Timothy, don't be Thalia. Don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated. Be bold. Because here's what I believe. I believe that this Soberos fear, the fear of the terrible, is something we only encounter uh, on seldom occasions. It's not something we deal with daily. I believe the other two are the ones we encounter more often. And for those of us that have lived a while and we have a little bit of wisdom and we've got some life experience, we understand the Eulabea kind of fear because we go, you know, I'm not going to do that. I tried that once. It didn't go well, so I'm not going to do that again. But for most, or if not all of us, the one we face most often, that is most common, is this Dalia where we just go, you know, I can imagine this not going well, so I'm just going to pull back. I'm going to pull back from that. I'm not going to engage because I'm intimidated by the possible negative outcome of my choices. And it's not a wise thing. It's a lack of courage. It's not born out of taking in what is going on around us and filtering this information, but instead it is choosing to believe that the worst possible is the product. This is when we go, I'm not going to talk to my spouse because they are not going to take this well. Instead of believing in my spouse and saying, you know, this will be hard, but I want to give them the chance to do it. This is the fear that says, I am not going to try something courageous because I don't want to fail. I'm so afraid of failing, I'll do nothing. And this is the one that Paul said to Timothy. Hey, Timothy, don't get caught in this. Don't be intimidated. And Paul knew there was good reason for Timothy to be intimidated. If you remember that scripture I read, he's talking to Timothy. He says, don't be intimidated, but be bold. Share your faith. God gave us a spirit. Do you remember what the three are? A spirit of power, love, Thank you. A sound mind. So here he's saying, you know, face this because we have the power of God. We've experienced the love of God. We get to share that. And somehow God has given us the ability to process the information we need to process so that we don't get stuck and intimidated in fear from doing things that are scary. I need to give away some of these. They're distracted by them. So, Dana. 
Just take the whole thing. That's not Jana. All right, let's see. So what are we got? Trinity, come up here. Take this whole thing back there. And you and your sister here. I apologize. I don't have gluten-free, sugar-free, organic. Okay, so that is how we define our fear. Let's go forward here, uh, Joel. You see, when we live in that place of intimidation and we're caused to hesitate, we end up in a place where we don't really belong for very long. And as I was thinking about this this week, I was reminded of, of something I'd read about, and I went back and I did a little bit more research. Some of you have probably heard of this, but when you climb Mount Everest, the highest mountain in Boulder, when you climb Mount Everest, there is an area above seven, or sorry, above 8,000 meters high. When you go above 8,000 meters up the mountain, they call it the death zone. And since I did a little bit of research, since 2017, 288 people have died in that zone. That's quite a few. And recently, they just closed the climbing season to Mount Everest. This is what kids now feel like, okay, wait a minute, but we just closed the climbing season and we lost this many people that are climbing. And if you go to Mount Everest today, there are people literally in line from base camp to try and get to the top because everybody's driving there. And I want to be able to say, I climbed the highest mountain in the world. It is deadly. It is extremely deadly. Does anybody know why they call that the death zone above 8,000 meters? Oxygen. Oxygen. You get above 8,000 meters, the air is so thin, you cannot breathe in enough oxygen to keep your muscles moving. So they do certain things. Some of them train, they acclimate, and they get up in those high elevations, and they train their bodies to really try to take in all the oxygen they can. And these guys that they call Sherpas, they live up there, so they're a little better at that. But some of us folks that are flatlanders, all of us qualify, we have to do other things. And so they take these little oxygen bottles along, and every once in a while you take a puff of oxygen, you keep going, you're kind of doing it kind of moving. But here's the thing, as I was reading about this, and I was checking again on the death zone to get above 8,000 meters, many, many, many times there are people who get into that high altitude place, and they are getting exhausted, and they stop. They're alive. They can still walk. They can still talk. But because they stuck, they die. And so there's a guy, or the remains of a guy, up on Everest, inside a little alcove. They call it a cave. It's not really a cave. They call it the Green Boots Cave. And here's the reason they got the term. There's a guy that's laying outside. His remains are there. He has green boots on, and they can tell you who he is, so they stop doing that. But if you look inside, there's a guy who is seated, crouched, kind of down, pulling his knees up. You can go online if you're into this kind of thing. It's a little Muhammad talk. But there's a picture of him holding his knees to himself, just frozen in place, and he's laying up green boots. And they call him the guy that's in the green boots cave, and they, they know who he is. And there were people who were up there with him, and when they went by, they talked to him. 
And they said, hey, what are you doing? And he said, well, you know, I'm not doing well right here. And actually, it was a bit controversial because at one point he started asking people for help. And they said, no, I got to get myself out of the death zone. I can't help you. I'm not putting my own at risk for you. And he died there in service. Now, here's what I think. As I was reading that, I thought, you know, there are people I can think of whose lives are defined by fear, who are who stay in the death zone, and we walk by and say, hey, you go, okay, well, maybe they, no, I'm not really worried about that. I'm not doing very well. Let me get some help with that. Spiritually speaking, when we stop at that place where we let that daily fear stop us, we become frozen. Particularly when it comes to sharing our faith. Well, I shared my faith once, and my friend laughed at me. I'm not going through that again. And we are frozen and the gospel stops in our lives. Oh, you know, I tried to do the right thing at work and they made fun of me. I'm not going to do that again. I'm just going to sit in my cubicle. I'm not going to do that. And holiness in our life has never gone. Or you know what? I was there. I was going to sit next to that person in dining hall at school, but when I went to do that, all my kids, all my friends said, what are you doing? Why are you going to sit with that? And I'll never do that again. And the love and compassion we could share, they said, let that matter. We stopped. And we got stuck in the death zone. So here's the thing. Give us forward, Joel. We can fear the death zone. We can know where it is. On Everest, we know it's above 8,000 we can fear the death zone. We know where it is in our lives. It's when I have to live out my faith when other people are watching. It's when I feel that the Lord is asking me to say something and I'm afraid of what other people will think when I say it. It's when I try to do what I know is right and other people around me are completely doing the opposite. And we can be aware of that. We can even be intimidated by that, but we can't get stuck by that. So we are people, if we are, we are people who need to be moved. We don't belong staying in that death zone. And living is defined by moving. The guy in the green boot cave was still living, but he was no longer moving until he was dying. And so there are some of us who are living, but our faith has made us, and so we are seeking to. And I would suggest to you that a lot of churches in the United States are churches that are living, but they're dying. Because they've become intimidated by what change might do to us and what those people would do if they started attending our church. And what would happen? What would people think if we started to reach out to them? And so they're dying because we're intimidated by that. Years ago, I had a superintendent came and talked to me because we had a sister church in our conference. And they said, you know, this church is, is dying. That's where you can find it. And when we started talking about what was happening, they said, no, you know, the pastor had invited an Alcoholics Anonymous group to meet in the church basement. Okay. You know, we have the space, nobody's using it, and here are people who are trying to put their lives back together. And the pastor told the congregation that we're going to have the meet here, and I'm going to try to encounter them because these are people who need Jesus. And after a few weeks, he was met in the parking lot by parking lot by a group of the church members and they said, Pastor, you need to stop this. And he said, why? 
He said, because, you know, when they get done, they stand out in front of our church and they smoke, and we're afraid of what people will think if they drive by and see people smoke. Alcoholics Anonymous, and within a year, you're in happy shutdowns. I want to tell you, friends, there are, there are plenty of times when the world will intimidate you and we go, I don't know what to do. I'm afraid I'm going to mess this up. I'm going to afraid, I'm afraid that somehow I'm going to pay a price I don't want to pay. But if God is giving us opportunities and he's calling us to share his love with somebody and we fail to do that, he will take the life there is to someone else. And we will die. We will die. So go forward again. This is another video about irrational fear. You don't need sound on this one. Oh, it's not going to work. That's okay. I will describe it to you. I'll describe it to you. Some of you have heard of fainting gifts. Some of you have seen this video online. It, it really is hilarious, but I've read some articles going on this. There's a couple of folks standing in these people's yard, and they, they tell you in the video that they heard that it's Somebody else's goat really loves to play with big exercise ball, and they jump on top of it. So they take an exercise ball out there, and there's two goats standing there, and they kick the ball toward the goats just very slowly. And these fainting goats, as soon as that ball comes up, they just squeeze up, fall over, legs and knees. Have you guys seen it? Some of you have seen it. It's hilarious, and it's terrible. These goats have an inbred propensity that what happens is when they sense any kind of threat, if it has nothing to do with fainting, they don't pass out, but their muscles <coughs> seize up and they fall over. Now there's the theory that's going around that maybe this is an evolutionary thing and, you know, these goats are the ones that when a wolf came along, they fainted, froze up, and they became supper for the wolf because he had a super threat. Don't become supper for the wolf. You see, there are times in our lives where we have experienced pain, we've experienced suffering, we've experienced hardship, and we see something coming and it looks and it smells like and it kind of feels like it's something that we should be afraid of. And when it comes, we do that very thing. We roll over with our feet in the air and we stay dead. And if we do that, sooner or later we will be dead. We will become the wolf's dinner. So the, the challenge is to face those things that we fear and overcome. Maybe we need to fight. Maybe we need flight. But when it's that daily of fear, if we give into it, we stop. We're not going to end here in this series. We have no business stopping because there are probably things that I think God can teach us through this. But every week in this series, I want to remind you there are people who are trained to if you are incapacitated by what you have experienced and by what you are imagining could happen to you, we have people that can help you with this. We have Sid here right in our building who is a therapist who can deal with these issues of fear and anxiety. You can talk to me, you can talk to Pastor Stephanie. There are all kinds of other professionals around. Please don't get stuck there. Please remember there are spiritual dimensions to this fear. And also, please remember, just as Paul was saying to Timothy, don't give in to a spirit of fear and timidity, my friends. Let's not be a church that gets intimidated. Let's live in the boldness of Christ. Amen. I want to invite the band to come back up. We're going to